Good morning, everybody. Let's do that again. Are you ready? <laughs> Caught you off guard. It's been such a long time since I've been with you, and it's lovely, lovely to see you all here this morning. So good morning, everybody. That's much better. It's good to be with you and good to be back in the pulpit again. And uh, I have a, a few things that I want to say to you before we get started. James Hill and Wei Ping were celebrating their wedding. They got married in my office on Wednesday, so we want to congratulate them. So you might like to put your hands together and congratulate them on their wedding. I want to add my welcome to, Anne's, to Anne and uh, say how lovely it is to have you here. Many of you may not know Anne that well. Um, Anne has been around us for a long time, used to work in the City Reach office and uh, was very, very faithful and very dedicated in the office and very, very humble, as I remember. And uh, you've exercised that same spirit as you've gone out and trained and been used of the Lord. And uh, we are so thankful that as the Lord has delivered you and kept you, as we will see today, the Lord kept the nation of Israel and led them out through the Red Sea just in the nick of time. And it seems as though the Lord has blessed you the same way. And uh, we're very, very glad you're back with us safely and we hope that you get the rest that you deserve and uh, we'll be praying for you and continuing to support you. also want to make a mention of home groups and uh, our community groups and this is the study that we'll be going through in the first term of our community groups. We're doing a study on the 23rd Psalm and uh, I'll be meeting with the community group leaders on the 19th, I trust, if they're able to make it out. And we'll be presenting this booklet and a leader's booklet to them so they can lead you, the community, through community groups. And if you're not part of a community group, we really implore you to consider that. It's a great way to get to know other people. It's a great way not to be uh, left out on the side and just come Sunday by Sunday but to actually become part of our community and a part of our fabric of our church. So we're going to be studying Psalm 23, The Lord is My Shepherd. Do you know the psalm? Do you know it off by heart? The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And uh, thank you very much. <laughs> and we, we'll learn a great deal about the Lord. I think this is an appropriate time for us as a church as we go through this and see that the Lord is our provider, our protector. He goes through us, uh, with us through the valley of the shadow of death and uh, we can be encouraged by that. Well, this morning we come to God's Word, to Exodus chapter 19. I want you to open your Bibles there to Exodus chapter 19. And we're going to look at the nation of Israel and how God provided for them, how he led them out of Egypt, how he led them through the wilderness, how he led them to the mountain of God, how he revealed his heart to them, and uh, how he met with the people there at the mountain of God, how he revealed what he planned for their future was. But also I want us to see the giving of the covenant and the restrictions that the covenant has during that time and uh, how that worked out in the people's lives. But first, I'd like to pray with you. Would you be so kind as to pray with me? Let's pray to the Lord. Father, we thank you. Thank you for the access that we have to you. We thank you for the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ on our behalf. We come to you now in the lovely name of the Lord Jesus Christ and through his shed blood, and we call upon you and ask that you would have mercy on us. We thank you for being with us. We thank you for being our God. And we thank you for your precious word where you reveal your truths and your character and your will for mankind. 
And we pray now as we open your word that you would be pleased to visit us again, that you would be pleased to forgive us of our sins and that you would be pleased to speak to us. And we pray this in Jesus' name. And all the people said, Amen. Amen. What a wonderful passage. As we come into the Exodus chapter 9, God is going to do something new with the nation of Israel. New in the sense that the nation of Israel has really been a fledgling nation. They've been in Egypt. A family went down to Egypt. And over the years under slavery, that family has grown into what they could call a nation. And God is going to formalize that nation as he brings them out of Egypt into the wilderness and to the mountain of God. When we look at Exodus chapter 19, we're not looking, as Mel said, at as a, an old dead story that was meant to teach us a moral lesson. We're looking at something that's alive and quick and speaks to our heart. We're looking at the living God. We're looking at the living God interacting with his people through what we know as the old covenant. And we can learn a lot about the God of the Bible, we can learn a lot about the people of the Bible, and we can learn a lot about ourselves as we look at the story of the nation of Israel as they journey through Egypt out to the wilderness and to the mountain of God. So let's begin. In verse 1, we learn on the third new moon. So this is a journey that's taken three months, and when we look into Genesis, look into Exodus chapter 19, the people have journeyed for three months to get to where they are. And if we move on to verse 3, while Moses went up to God, the Lord called to him out of the mountain, saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob, and tell the people of Israel, You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians, and how I bore you on eagles' wings. And the first thing that stands out in this passage is how God shares his heart for the nation of Israel. They've been in slavery and they cried out to God. And the Bible tells us that the Lord heard their cry from heaven and he acted on their behalf. And he says here that I have drawn you out and I have borne you on eagles' wings. It's a beautiful, beautiful metaphor and reveals the, the heart of God for the people of Israel. He's borne them on eagles' wings and he brought them out through the Red Sea. And as he brought them out through the Red Sea and the nation of Egypt in their armies entered into the Red Sea, the Lord crushed the nation of Egypt and freed the nation of Israel. Praise the Lord. That's there recorded for us in the word of God. As they turned and went away from a land flowing with milk and honey, where they thought they were going to the promised land, God was taking them on a journey through a different land. They went through a land that was dry, a land that was barren, a land that was inhospitable. And they cried out to the Lord and said, We're hungry, Lord. We have no food. We have no water. And the Lord provided for them water and food. You may remember the stories of how the Lord provided what they call manna from heaven. It's interesting that they went into a barren land. The Lord often takes us through a barren land and we think that the Lord is against us. There are times in our lives where we suffer hardship or go through a time of affliction or go through a time of self-affliction and we think that the Lord is against us and his joy will never return. But we need to look at it through the eyes of Exodus and realize that the Lord leads us into a barren land because it's there that we cry out to the Lord. It's there that we realize that we wholly depend upon him and it's there that he's able to meet our need and we see him afresh in the barren land. 
They had a victorious battle with the Ammonites. You might remember this where Moses would pray. Moses was up and over the top of the battle on a hilltop. And as he prayed, the Israelites were victorious. As he grew weary, the Ammonites grew strong. As he grew stronger again, the nation of Israel would succeed. Finally, he called for two men to hold his arms up as he prayed and continued to pray to the Lord. And so the nation of Israel was victorious over the Ammonites. Three months journey, and they find themselves at the base of the mountain, having come through the wilderness, a dry and desolate land. And God speaks to Moses, and Moses speaks to the people. He is... God's man. He is the mediator for the nation of Israel. And I want you to, to lock that word away, mediator. He is the mediator for the nation of Israel. He's the mediator for God to the nation of Israel. But have a look how God depicts his gracious heart. He says to us in this beautiful imagery, I bore you on eagles' wings. And this is a particularly beautiful picture. God can't help but share his heart and he pictures himself as a strong eagle and uh, he pictures the nation of Israel as being on his wings and bearing them and didn't he just do that doesn't doesn't God bear the nation of Israel through the Red Sea didn't God bear the nation of Israel as they hungered in the wilderness as they fought enemies as God provided for them the uh, gracious heart of God in speaking about eagles. An eagle is a fierce bird of prey and God is fiercely jealous for that which belongs to him and fiercely jealous for his people, fiercely jealous for the nation of Israel and he's fiercely jealous for you. Fiercely jealous for you. The wings speak of God's protection and God's deliverance. And these are majestic birds. These are large, strong, and powerful birds. And he says, I have been like an eagle to you. I have borne you on eagle's wings. Our God bears us on eagle's wings. And I don't think there's a person here who can't testify to a time when they have felt God lifting them up and strengthening them and carrying them and providing for them and protecting them. Amen? Amen? God is pictured as a eagle further on in the book of deuteronomy we see god speaking in terms uh, similar to this deuteronomy 32 and verse 11 it's up on the screen i don't think that that is actually a baby eagle um, i think somebody doctored that one not me but somebody doctored that one but that carries the idea that we're trying to convey to you that god bears us on his wings but in verse 32 or chapter 32 verse 11 he says but the lord's portion is his people jacob is his allotted heritage he found him in the desert land and in the howling waste of the wilderness. He encircled him. He cared for him. He kept him as the apple of his eye, like an eagle that stirs up its nest, that flutters over its young, spreading out its wings, catching them, bearing them on its pinions. And so is the Lord to the nation of Israel. So is the Lord to you and I, stirring up his nest in the if you know anything about these eagles, they, they nest in high and lofty places, basically beyond the reach of man. And they eventually come to their young, and their young are in the nest. And as you can imagine, they don't want to get out of their nest. This is a lesson for parents here. And they stir up their nest, the Word of God says. And what that means is they actually kick their young out. And their young 
plummet to the ground from a very, very high mountain. And the Lord swoops down, the mother swoops down and bears the young up on its wings until it's able to fly. Quite amazing, quite amazing. The Lord is so gracious to us. And here, before we go to verse 5, notice the change in this verse. Because what God is saying to these people, I saved you by grace. Nothing have you done, but I have saved you by grace. I have borne you up on my wings. I have delivered you from the nation of Egypt. I have carried you through the, the wilderness wanderings. I have given you victory over your enemies. I provided you food and water. We are saved by the gracious act of God, and we are saved by his grace alone. In the word of God in the New Testament, we, we teach that we are saved by grace. It's the same way that God saved his people in the Old Testament by grace alone. And then he changes gear and he says, because of my great grace towards you, I expect you to respond. But make no mistake, God saves by grace. For as we read in God's word, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And that is not of your own doing. Even the faith you have is a gift from God not as a result of any work on your behalf, so that no one is able to boast before the living God. God does the work of salvation alone, and he does it with, his nation, with the nation of Israel here. First, he saved them, and now he gives them, we've got a fly here, but forgive me as I show a lack of grace towards this fly, and kill it if I can. <laughs> First, he carried them out of danger to salvation, salvation that he bought alone. And then he calls the nation of Israel to respond. The same thing happens in our lives. God saves us by grace, and then he calls us to respond in obedience towards him. He calls us to obey his word and follow after him, to dedicate our lives to living out our convictions for the Lord. But have a look in verse 5, as God shares his passion, he shares his responsibility with them, but also shares uh, his future heart for them. Now therefore, if you will indeed only obey my voice, there, there it is, they've been saved, and now he's calling for obedience, obey my voice and keep my commandment, you shall be to me a treasured possession. A treasured possession. This is uh, kingly language. The king is speaking here and he's basically saying, of all that I own, and I own, and God goes on to say that he owns the whole earth and everything in it, but of all I own, you are to me a special possession. That's beautiful language. Beautiful language. It's actually language that should remind you of Second Peter where God says to us that we are his special possession. We are his treasured possession above all others. It's a, it's a private serve uh, reserve of gold is the actual meaning literal language a private reserve of gold it's one of the highest titles that one can receive and this is what he wants the nation of Israel to be with him he wants in the future for the nation of Israel to be obedient to him and to live out the covenant and he will make them a special possession to him Secondly, he says that you will be a kingdom of priests. God's future plan for the nation of Israel as they are obedient to his covenant and obedient to his laws is he will make them a kingdom of priests. They will teach all other nations on the earth how to come and worship the living God. In Zechariah chapter 8, verse 23, 
we learn this very, very well. And, it, and he references this again, saying that the Jew will take a sleeve. Seven Gentiles will take the, the sleeve of a Jew, and the Jew will lead them up to worship the Lord. It's God's desire for the nation of Israel to be an example to all other nations, to be a priest, to be a kingdom of priests on how to worship the Lord. He goes on to finally say to them that you will be a holy nation. Holy nation. Of all that I own and all the earth is mine and all that on the earth is mine, but you will be a holy nation to me. You will be set apart. You will be special. If you live out the commandments, if you live out under the covenant, you will be my treasured possession. You will be a kingdom of priests and you will be a holy nation. I, I don't know if you get what's happening here, but the nation of Israel is about to meet the living God. They're about to meet the living God and they're about to hear from him. The, the awesome and the wonderful, fearful God. They're about to meet him. And God can't help but pour out his heart of grace upon them. He can't help but pour out his desire for the nation of Israel. And you don't have to extrapolate it very far, but this is his desire for us also. All of God's creation. He wants to experience his love and grace and forgiveness. And to have a look at how the nation of Israel responded, verse 8. Come down with me to verse 8. And the nation of Israel responds, And the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I am coming in a thick cloud, because no one can see the Lord, and no flesh, no human can see the Lord, otherwise they will perish. And so he veils his glory, he veils his, uh, his presence in a thick cloud, that the people may hear when I speak to you and believe you forever. Actually, I've jumped onto verse 8 and verse 9. But this is God authenticating Moses as his mediator. But what, have a look back in verse 8. And the people answered together and said, All that the Lord has spoken, we will do. In response to God pouring out his heart for them, his heart of grace, and in response to God pouring out his future plans for the nation of Israel, this, is, this has got to be taken as a genuine response. Do you know, like... When God speaks to us, when we're reading in our quiet time, in the morning or the evening, or we're listening to a sermon, or we're listening to somebody speak, and that uh, quiet check in your spirit where you know the Lord is speaking to you, and your heart swells with obedience, he may be rebuking you, he may be encouraging you, he may be leading you, and your heart swells, and at that very moment, your response to him is, yes, Lord, I will obey you, and there's a real sincerity with that. Have you ever felt that? But you know very well how quickly we fall away from that, don't you? How quickly we get tired, how quickly we fall asleep, how quickly we abandon what God has called us to, how quickly we get distracted by sin. And so we want to look at the nation of Israel through those eyes and realize that this was a genuine response from the nation of Israel. You don't have to read very far on in the book of Exodus to realize that the nation of Israel failed terribly. As they worshipped the golden calf, as they got involved in immorality, they defiled themselves and they abandoned what the Lord had called them to. In verse 9, we see that God authenticates Moses. He puts his stamp of approval on Moses and he says to the people, I want to, he says to Moses, I want to speak to you aloud so that the people will hear me speak to you so that they will know that you are the man that I have chosen to mediate between you and me. 
and very much he did that. But have a look in your Bibles at verse 10 because now he sets up a time of preparation before they meet with God in verse 16. Moses is going to speak to them about the preparations they need to, be, to, to have. And God says, I want you to tell them that they've got to, to sanctify themselves. They've got to cleanse themselves. They've got to consecrate themselves. They've got to wash their clothes. They've got to not sleep with their wife or sleep with their husband. They've got to concentrate on being right before me before they meet with me. And as we're going along... Notice the constraints of the Old Testament. Notice the constraints of the covenant that they're entering into. It says in verse 10, and if you look with me, get ready for God to reveal himself. Go to the people, consecrate them. We believe that the consecration, although not laid out for us clearly here in the scriptures, we believe that it's a blood sacrifice. Moses offered an animal on their behalf, just as he had done previously when they were... Uh, exiles and they'd been the, the Passover came during the time of Egypt and he put the blood of a lamb on the doorpost and on the lintel so here we assume that there's some sort of a ritual consecration going on to cleanse the people wash your clothes strange thing to say but the people I think it symbolizes they needed to be clean on the outside abstain from sexual relationships and this is talking about good and holy and normal sexual relationships between a husband and a wife and he says I want you to abstain from that it's not saying that it's bad or it's immoral but he's saying I want you to be focused wholly on me as you meet with me in verse 16 we learn that the people have going to meet with the living God and we learn as we read there, on the morning of the third day, there were thunders and lightning. God is never too early or never too late. He's right on time. When God has led us out into the wilderness and we feel as though our suffering has been too long and we cry out to God and we say things that we don't want to be repeated and we doubt his promises to us and we doubt his very presence with us. God is never too late. He's never too early. He's always right on time for us. Have a look how God reveals himself. There's thunders and lightning and a thick cloud and the mountain and it's very uh, on the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast. The people have come up to the barrier. Moses has led them out of the camp They've been preparing themselves for three days. They've washed their clothes. They've abstained from normal sexual relationships. They're focused on the living God and God is going to reveal himself to them. But notice the constraints here. Moses leads them out of the camp and he leads them up to the edge of the mountain and there's a barricade and they're not to pass the barricade because if they go over the barricade, they will die. They're only able to witness God's presence from a distance. And God himself will be veiled to them because as it says in God's word, no one has seen God. Would have been a tremendous time. I don't know if you can place yourself in the shoes or the sandals or whatever they wore at that time as they came up to the edge of the mountain. This mass of millions of people as they stood at the, at the base of the mountain and there were lightnings and thunder. There was a movie on uh, last night, um, something to do with cyclones. It was fictional, I think. Yes. <laughs> 
And in one scene there, they had a cyclone coming, and before the cyclone claiming, the, the sky got dark, and the, the lightning was horrendously loud, and there was thunder, and it was an extremely scary experience in my living room last night. Can you imagine standing here at the base of the mountain, and there are thunders and lightning, and there is a thick cloud on the very mountain, and there's a loud trumpet blast, and the camp, it says, trembled. They trembled. We learn in the book of Hebrews further on that they trembled. Even Moses feared the Lord. He feared and trembled before the Lord. This was an awesome and beautiful sight that we entered into. We learn from God's word that the Lord is holy. Holy, holy, holy. Israel continues to press up against the barrier. The smoke descends from the mountain and the Lord descends from the mountain in fire. Have a look here in verses 18. Now the mountain Sinai was wrapped in smoke because the Lord had descended in fire. Isn't that amazing? The Lord has descended in fire. The very mountain itself would have been on fire and yet not consumed. Very much like when Moses entered into the burning bush, or remember the time with the burning bush, the bush burnt and yet it did not burn up because of the holiness of God or because God made himself present in that time. And this is a very similar presentation. There's thunders, there's lightning, there's a large cloud which wraps around the Lord and the Lord descended on the mountain in fire. The Bible tells us that the Lord doesn't live on a mountain, not like other gods which other religions worship. Our God is not living on a mountain somewhere and we've got to scale that mountain to meet him God it says descended on the mountain the word of God tells us that he has to stoop he has to stoop down to the heavens and to the earth he's far above us and his ways are far above us the Lord descends in fire smoke that like of a kiln the whole mountain trembled and the, lump, the trumpet grew louder and louder and louder and louder. And you can imagine that the people trembled with fear before the Lord. It was an awesome, awesome sight. Our God is a holy, holy God. Have a look how God is depicted in Revelation 4 and verse 8. And the four living creatures, each of them with six wings and full of eyes all around and within... And day and night they never cease to say, and say it with me, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. Our Lord is holy. And here before the nation of Israel, he descends in all of his glory, though veiled with a cloud, he descends in all of his glory before them. And he set a barrier up at the bottom of the mountain. And he said, don't anybody come onto the mountain because the mountain is set apart. And if you come on the mountain, you'll be shot through with an arrow or you'll be killed or you'll be consumed by the Lord. So terrifying was this sight. We learn from uh, Exodus chapter 15. And if you just turn back in your Bible, if you're following along with me, Exodus chapter 15, they speak of the Lord's strength and might and grace who is like you lord O lord among the gods who is like you majestic in holiness awesome in glorious deeds doing wonders you stretched out your right hand and the earth swallowed them the lord is all powerful all strong and he has descended before these people standing on the edge of the mountain what an awesome sight this must have been 
Revelation 15, 3 and 4 says this, And they sing, a new, they sing the song of Moses, a servant of God, and a song of the Lamb, saying, Great and marvellous are thy works. You, Lord Almighty, just and true are your ways. This is a wonderful, wonderful picture of the greatness of our God. God has descended down and spoken to Moses. The Lord came down on the Mount Sinai to keep the top of the mountain. And the Lord God called to Moses from the top of the mountain. And Moses went up. God has spoken. There are some who say today, if only God would speak to me. If only God would speak to me. I would obey him. God has spoken. It's recorded for us in scriptures. So never let people say that God has been silent. God has spoken. And he's spoken to his servant Moses. And he's spoken to all the people of Israel. And he's spoken to you and I. He's spoken to you and I. We go on from verses, uh, verse 20 down through verse 21 to 25. And for the sake of time, and without wanting to take away from the scripture, we see a picture of the covenant and we see a picture of the people being constrained. they constrained. God wants to reach out to his people and embrace his people and to be, uh, be their God and for him to be there, rather for them to be his people and for him to be their God. But he's constrained, if, if that's the right way to put it, by his own holiness. He is holy, holy, holy. And we see this constraint. And this should lead us to ask the question, who is going to be our mediator before God? The nation of Israel, this fledgling nation that was made into a great kingdom. But who is going to be our mediator? Who's going to represent us before God? There will come a time where every single person in this room will meet face to face with the living God. The living God of Exodus chapter 19. A living God full of justice and power and awesomeness. And you'll stand before him and have to give an account of your feeble life. Who will be our mediator? Who will be our mediator like Moses was a mediator for the nation of Israel? Someone who will cleanse us from our sin. Someone who will flee us, free us from the slavery that we're in. Free us from the penalty of sin. And praise be to God. You know where I'm heading with this. Praise be to God. Jesus Christ, who is fully human and fully God, has become our mediator. He has become the mediator of not the old covenant, but he has fulfilled the old covenant and he's given us a new covenant and he is the mediator of that covenant. And the new covenant says that God is going to, to meet with us and indwell us and write his laws on our very heart. God is going to give us his righteousness so that we can be right with him. And the Lord Jesus Christ is the one who did that. Jesus Christ has become our high priest. He's become our mediator. Have a look in Hebrews chapter 4 and verses 14. Since then we have this great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Let us hold fast to our confession. Jesus Christ came to earth. He wasn't born on earth, as it were. He came to earth and he took on the human form as a child. And he's ascended through the heavens. And we know that when he died, and praise God, he rose again on the third day. And that was witnessed by many, many people. He ascended into heaven. 
and is seated right at this very moment at the right hand of the Father. And he mediates on our behalf. Praise the Lord. He talks to the Father on our behalf. And he knows us very, very well because he was fully human. He knows the temptations we face and yet he did not sin. He knows the pressures that we are under and yet he did not give in. And he is fully God. Thus he is seated at the right hand of the Father in heaven. Timothy tells us this, For there is one God and there is one mediator between God and man. And the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all. Praise his name. Praise God, the Lord Jesus Christ is our mediator. Praise the Lord that he's our high priest. Praise the Lord that he's seated at the right hand of the Father. Praise the Lord that he's our ambassador. Praise the Lord that he's our first fruits of salvation. Hebrews 10, 10 says, And by that will we have been sanctified through the offering of, his, of the body of Jesus Christ. We've been sanctified through the offering that Jesus Christ made to God. We've been sanctified. He made an offering of himself to God. He was completely holy and he died on the cross and died a death now that we do not have to die. And by faith, if we put our faith in him, a faith that he has mustered in us, he has given us the promise that we will be the children of God. Is this not good news? Isn't it great news to know that we have a mediator? Someone who will mediate for us before the living God? A living God who has called us a, a precious people, who has called us kingdom of priests, who pours out his love on us just the way he did. And now we can actually go through the barrier, break the tape, and go to, into the presence of the living God. I, um, in Hebrews uh, chapter 4, the, one of the things that really, really speaks to my heart is, uh, let me read it for you, who, uh, speaking at verse 15, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we have been tempted. Yes, amen. And let us therefore with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and grace in time of need. We can actually enter into the very presence of God any time we have the need to enter into the presence of God. We can enter in now through the blood and sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ. Isn't that amazing? And he says that he will show us grace and mercy in that time. I um, had an office when I was pastoring up in the hills and the office was in my home. It was the front bedroom that we'd given up and we turned it into an office. And uh, I purposely left the door of my office open so that my growing family, I think we had three children then and another one percolating away, the kids would run into the office at all times to greet me. They'd run in after school and they'd run in to have a sore thumb or they'd run in, whatever reason they could find, they would run into that room. And uh, I purposely left the door open because this verse had impacted on my life. I can run to my father at any time and find grace in my time of need. And because of what Jesus Christ has done, he's passed through the heavens. He's borne our sin on his body on the tree. We can, be, uh, we can enjoy the grace of God. Isn't that wonderful news? Isn't that wonderful news? I'd like to read for you a little bit of Hebrews chapter 12. The first portion of Hebrews chapter 12 that we're not going to read speaks about Mount Sinai. 
Mount Sinai and meeting God on Mount Sinai. And at Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews pitches us meeting with God on Mount Sinai and saying that's a terrible place to meet God. It's a terrible place to, to lose your salvation. It's a terrible place to, to lose your life, rather, to go before the Lord and go before him under the law because you'll be found wanting under the law. But much better is to meet God in heaven and to meet God on Mount Zion. To meet God on Mount Zion means a place of grace and a place of forgiveness and a place where Jesus had paid the price. That's a much better place to meet God. And this is how the writer of Hebrews explains that for us in this text. Verse 22, But you have come to Mount Zion, amen, and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, the innumerable angels in festal gathering, and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, amen, and to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks of a better word, of the blood of Abel. We have been forgiven of our sins, amen. And through Jesus Christ, we're able to enter into the presence of God at any time we like. Are you relying on your good works? Because that's relying on the old covenant. Are you relying on the, the old system to be right with God? Because there's a, a new covenant, a new way. And that new covenant has been won for us through the Lord Jesus Christ. He's fulfilled all the requirements of the old covenant. And through his death and resurrection on the cross, we have a new covenant with God. And we're made perfect through the Lord Jesus Christ. We're made perfect in God's sight through the Lord Jesus Christ. And so I stand before you today as one who is right with God because of his grace poured out on me. And I seek to be obedient to him, but I seek to be obedient after the grace of God. And there will come a time where God will come back and be with us and we will be with him. And he will do away with sin and he will do away with the weakness that we experience. And so we will be with the Lord always. Amen? Amen. Let's pray together as we close. Father, we thank you for this day and we thank you for your word. And Lord, we just rejoice over this story and... Father, we are in awe of you as you met and spoke to the nation of Israel. You spoke so generously and so graciously to them and you speak the same way to us and we worship you for that. And, and like the nation of Israel, our hearts are stirred and, and our spirit is stirred and we want to say, yes, Lord, we'll do all that you want us to do. And Father, that's our heart and we know that we fail and we thank you that you have provided us grace in the Lord Jesus Christ. You have provided us forgiveness for our past, our present, and our future sin. And Father, we thank you for the Lord Jesus. We say thank you, thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.